I invite you to turn this morning to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4 for our text this morning. This will be the last series of messages I've tried to endeavor of entitled Thy Word. We've embarked on the Word of God, and I hope and pray that it's been a blessing to some of you. Certainly has to me to try to study this part of Scripture. Today, uh, I want to talk about a subject uh, regarding thy word, and simply this, thy word is sharp, sharp. In the um, every use of life, it's so important that our main, we maintain our relationship, our fellowship with God. The Bible is probably the greatest gift God has ever given to man. It really is. For it, re- it revelates Jesus Christ. When I'm talking about the Word of God, I'm talking about both the Bible, the written Word, and Jesus, the incarnate Word. You cannot separate them. 1 John 1, 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So I'm talking about God when I talk about the Word. There's a rest in God's Word. It's not the kind of rest that we normally think of, of doing nothing. The Word of God is a prompting, motivating, exhilarating, energizing measure of God's grace that is given to His people. And we ought to cherish it so much and love it so dearly. And I believe you do. I really do. I thank you that this place has a Bible teaching a Bible-believing people of God. I've come so to respect you and your Bible study classes and your personal lives and how you relate to the Word of God. In this part of Hebrews, uh, I want to start at verse 11. Verse 12, I guess, would be our our springboard uh, platform verse I want to use for some points in a few minutes. But listen to God's Word as we look. Thy Word is sharp. It says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. There's nothing any more upsetting than unbelief. God calls it the easily besetting sin. So what we're seeing here is being laid out before us, what it takes to get that rest, that peace, See, peace and rest is not the absence of problems. Peace and rest is the presence of God. This book is God. How sharp is it in your life? Look at verse 12. Well, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In just a few minutes, my points will be laid out from that one verse. I think we can get a lot more from there than my little mind will embrace, but I want us to see that the Word of God is sharp. That it's so sharp, it talks to us. That it's so sharp, it takes some things away. And that it's so sharp, it turns us. Okay? We'll come back to that in a second. Verse 13. 
Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Notice how the writer here connects the written word or the word of God sharp as a two-edged sword to the living Christ, speaking of him as the priest of God, whoever liveth to make intercession for us. The reason we know the book of God is alive is because Jesus is alive. He makes intercession for us. He's our mediator, our bridge to God. Verse 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, because of this, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, I wonder in the world today where the Word of God is in our lives as a society. What we're going to find is when we get away from God, we get away from His Word, we get away from life, really. I was thinking and I was reading a book um, entitled Lincoln's Greatest Speech. It's his second inaugural address. There's not many words in that, but he talks about the Bible. And I was reading one of the chapters the other day and remembered, I thought I did, and I went back and, and researched it, how that the Civil War was probably the most religious war that's ever been fought in American history. And the reason was there was a, a, a society called the American Bible Society. It was not made up of preachers, but laity. And their ministry was to, was to get little pocket Bibles into all the soldiers that they could. And at Gettysburg, when they were planning the cemetery or laying the soldiers there at rest and trying to deal with their possessions, they began noticing that most every soldier that died in battle had a Bible. Later on, it was understood that some of the Bibles really protected some of the soldiers from death itself, for the bullet that was fired from the enemy hit the Bible instead of the soldier. Lincoln said as in his speech there, he said, they all read the same Bible, both the North and South. Both sides prayed to the same God, Lincoln said. In 1866, the American Bible Society published over 5 million Bibles. Those soldiers, most of them were uh, results of the Second Great Awakening. They were people that believed that God's Word was God's Word. They knew that they were going to face death. And they wanted God with them, and they wanted God's Word with them. I don't know how well so many of them could read nor how many theologians was on the battlefield. But one thing about it, when you got God's Word, you have God. And it's not so complicated to understand that God's Word is meant for our benefit, for our blessings. And we need to embrace it more than we ever had before. 
I was thinking too when I was studying, how sharp is, is my word, interpretation of God's word? How sharp is yours? Has it got any blunt edges? Are you reading your Bibles? Studying them, meditate on them? Hey, we need sharpening. You know, there's a story, it's kind of a, I guess, uh, motivational kind of speech that was given in a secular sense, but about a woodcutter who just kept cutting wood. And he was really good at it, but he just got to where he wasn't cutting as much. And it bothered him some. And when he was questioned about it, he said, well, you know, I'm swinging the axe just as hard, even harder, but I'm not felling as many trees. To which his overseer said, well, have you sharpened your axe? He said, well, no, I haven't had time to. I've been trying to cut so much wood. We need to be still and know that God is God. We need to take time to sharpen our axe. Now, no, you won't ever get God's word any sharper than it really is. It is pure and perfect. We see it sharper than a two-edged sword. But you and I are or instruments that God uses to dispense His Word. Did you know that your life is a Bible that maybe some people, the only Bible some people will ever read? It is true. It kind of reminds me, uh, in the woods years ago, I went on a logger site to check a logger. It was a hot day in July, and I remember walking on the site, and I remember this, Young black guy that was working there, one of the employees, was his job was to top the trees when the tractors brought them up before they were loaded. And he had crouched down under some oak trees, maybe uh, 50 yards from the loading site. And so I was just walking around the woods checking, and I see him over there, crouched down. I thought he might be resting, you know, it was hot in the shade. You know, what he was doing is sharpness saw. He looked up at me and he said, uh, Mr., you know how to sharpen a saw? I said, well, I think I do. He said, well, let me show you. He took it, had a chainsaw, and he took a file, and he said, you know, it's the angle that really makes the difference. He proceeded to show me how to sharpen a saw. I never forgot it. And I'm going to tell you, when it comes to your life and mine and God's word, to sharpen our saw, the angle makes all the difference. You read your, God, your, your Bible on your knees. You get around God's people. You pray. You meditate on God's word. Think about the reality of it, what it means. Being in church, iron sharpens iron. A few of us this past Tuesday sat around in the fellowship hall for our prayer service. Sitting around a table and we probably spent 30 minutes just relating, each one of us sharing something God was doing in somebody's life and in ours. I'm going to tell you, when we started praying, we were so sharp, you could have cut it with a knife. Why was that? Because that's the word of God that's in your heart. And it needs sharpening, it needs expressing itself. Oh, may God help us 
to keep our knife sharp. I want to say three things, of course. I mentioned that a while ago from verse 4 or verse 12, chapter 4 of Hebrews. For the word of God is quick. That means live. I'm talking about a living book here. I'm not talking about dead words. Now, if God hasn't redeemed your soul, you probably think this is just academic. But this is a living book. This book has fire in it. This book has life in it. Now here's the deal. I got a lot of books on my shelf. But a lot of them, I've read some of them. Some of them I've read parts of. Some of them I hadn't cracked the cover. But I'm going to tell you, those I've read, they're just old stuff. I don't need that anymore. A lot of them are outdated. I want to tell you, also on my desk is the Bible. For some reason, I keep reading it, don't you? You know why? Because it's alive. It speaks to you. It comforts you. It's the best friend you'll ever have. 1 Peter 1, verse 23, 25 says that God's word is incorruptible. It says the flowers and the fruit, so to speak, just wither away, but the word of God abides forever. Now this book has tried to be stamped out and still trying to be by our culture. It never will be. Jesus Christ, the incarnate word, is trying to be taken out of preaching, but you won't bury Jesus not to stay down. Because I'm talking about the resurrected word of God. It's coming out. So when we think about the word of God, it's alive. Influences us. I remember before Penny and I was married, you know, I, I had some, I've had some midnight hours, you. I remember when, um, when I took a Bible and put on a dash of my truck. Now, I, I should have been reading it more, but I just put it on my dash of my truck, and I rode around. Everywhere I went, I took that Bible. Now, I wasn't a preacher, but, but I rode around with the Bible. It helped me think straighter. It helped me uh, realize there was a God. People would get in my truck and say, what do you have that Bible for? Are you a preacher? I said, no, man, I'm sure not. And before it was over, we talked about God. I mean, that book's alive. And you know what? The devil knows it. He will try to get you so busy, he don't want you sharpening your axe. He thinks you can, he makes you think you can work your way to heaven. You got to get religious. If you can sing good enough or dance good enough or look good enough, you're all right. The reason people don't like the word of God is it tells the truth. And you know, when truth comes, lies have to leave. A lot of people don't like the truth. I'm talking about a lot of church people. They don't like the truth. 
Light and darkness have no fellowship, not at all. All right, so first of all, I want you to see with me if this book talks to us. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. I want to show you how God's word is the best friend, best blessing that we've ever had. And we need to thank God for it before we leave this room. And when we get home, we need to put it in practice to love his word, to cherish his word, to read his word, and to live by his word, by his grace only. We can do that. Proverbs chapter 6. Look at these verses with me. Verse 20, Proverbs 6. My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. Obviously, that's taken from the word of God because as mothers and fathers, we're supposed to bring our children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. In verse 22, this is what the word of God does. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. Now that's a living book. So first of all, we want to see that the word of God in its sharpness talks to us. It tells us just the way it is. Now you might not want to listen, but it talks to you. The Word of God is powerful. It is so powerful that it can bring a dead sinner to life. I said this is the incarnate Word, this Word of God. It's the living Word. Gospel of John chapter 5 says, There's a time coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. That's what God does to you when you're born again. See, the preacher cannot save you. God saves you. But he does use the foolishness of preaching to magnify his word. I'll tell you how I think it is. But this pulpit, this, this is not a platform. This is a throne. And it's not because of this guy, because this is one poor unworthy sinner that God's got up here for some reason, I don't know. But that is what the Word of God is. It, it is power. I want you to see that. It talks with us. That centurion who had that sick servant says to Jesus, speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Talking to Jesus. Are you listening to God when he talks to you? You know what happens? I'll show you the microphone deal, but I'm gonna, I, I think it's like this. I believe it this. I believe God, when he saves you by his grace, he's talking to you. He's talking to your conscience. He's convicting you. And then you come to church, maybe by God's grace, you come to church and you hear some preacher say exactly what's going on in your life. I have not read your mail. What God is doing is amplifying that by the preached word. Word of God talks. He didn't say scold you. Doesn't even say he preaches. He talks with thee. 
You talk with somebody, there's a response. Now, here's the deal about God's patience. I don't understand. I tell you, you know, when I was growing up, my parents would talk to me before they whipped me. I mean, that's the first step in discipline. Your parents, a godly parent, will talk to that child and say, now listen, do this, that, and the other, or don't do this, that, and the other. Now, if you do it, this is what's going to happen. God's been talking to us. He's given us over 800,000 words. And, and you know what? One thing about a believer is we have thick heads and thin skin, but broken hearts. You know, I go outside sometimes, fool around the farm. I'll come back in the house and somebody say, what happened to your arm? Gosh, you're bleeding. I don't even know what happened. You get older, you know, your skin does get a little thinner. I mean, so does your hair. But I mean, I come out, I don't know why I'm bleeding. I'm going to tell you, you get around God's word, you're going to bleed. The gospel is blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not to be said something, I'm going to feel good all the time, or I'm going to get blessed. It's really understanding this is about blood. I'd be willing to say a preacher that doesn't bleed is not really preaching. If you're not living God's way, if you're living God's way, you're going to bleed. And you won't even know where it comes from. That's how sharp God's word is. But it talks to us. We ought to be in awe. We ought to listen. You know, I remember uh, Brother Bobby Smith. I know you've been praying for Brother Bobby, Sister Mary Jenny. I remember this at a deacon's meeting more than one time. He's our chairman. I've heard Bible study people say this in the, in the uh, Virgil Agan class that he taught so many years. You know, Brother Bobby had kind of a quiet demeanor. But when Brother Bobby Smith started talking, I've seen people go up and turn the air conditioner off. They want to listen. I want to hear what you got to say. Why? Because there was a reverence for that. We want to be able to turn everything off and listen to God. This is God's book. And it talks to us. Secondly, it takes things away. It's sharp. Down a two-edged sword. This book is sharp. One of the greatest things that needs to be taken away that a believer needs, I'm talking about a child of God. You need God's word more just after you commit a sin than any time else. You know why? Because you're feeling guilt. You're feeling that conscious it just split wide open because God has given you his law in your heart and it breaks your heart that you have just sinned. And don't tell me you don't sin because you do. 
I think that's one of the things that we don't embrace God's word enough for because we don't realize how unworthy, how sinful, how wretched we are. We think we're so good that we've been to church so long that we've read the Bible so many times that we've given so much that God's just going to wink at us and we don't understand that we're just church that, like that church in Laodicea. We, have, we are rich. We think, but God says we're naked and wretched, and we are. And until we get to that point, we'll never understand the sharpness of God's word because what it'll do when we're guilty and we commit a sin, we we repent, and God breaks that band. He cuts it with his word. Oh, how many times I've felt that. I don't know about you. Romans 8, 1 says there's now no condemnation in them that walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. I am so glad that God in his word gives us the greatest saints of God and paints their life warts and all. That David, when he committed adultery, when he had a man murdered, and Nathan come to him and said, thou art the man, man, that was sharp. When God came to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, who had been persecuting and overseeing the murders of Christians, and he struck him down on the road, and he changed his life. And the Word of God said to him, Why prickest thou against the pricks, or kickest against the pricks, Paul? And Paul, by the power of God's Word, doesn't matter what he knew, doesn't matter that he studied on all that he studied. What matters was he got up and said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? I'm here to say there's men and women in this world today that are so deep in addictions that they cannot get out of it no matter what kind of treatment they have. And I'll tell you what, we are in no position to condemn or complain those kind of folks because maybe we haven't been there yet. But it's only the power of God's word that can break that. It can cut it out. Well, God's word is so powerful and so eminent that it can not only change water into wine, it can make wine into water. It can take that man that has a lust for women and running around all the time. It can change him to a faithful husband that finds the most valuable, deepest love in a loving wife, God's way. Sharp, this word of God. You need to get into it. You need to understand that God can cut you. But what he's doing is taking out that corruption that needs to be out. You know, when it talks to you, it's personal. It has a different application maybe for you, but you never read the Bible and say, man, that applies to me. I was reading through the Bible not long ago in Luke chapter 12 about the man with the barns, rich farmer. Fields brought forth plentifully. He's going to say, I'm going to build more barns. That's what I'm going to do. Just happened to be in my little lifetime, I was thinking about buying a cow. I got to read that. You know what he says? Jesus, God comes to that man, he said, I'm going to build me another barn. Randy, I'm going to buy him another cow. You know what that verse says? This day, 
thy soul is required of thee. Then whose shall these things be? I didn't need that cow anymore. See, if, if God called me to be with him to die, I don't leave those cows to my wife. What is she going to do with them? She's going to sell them. But then she's got to deal with all the hassle. You know what? That word of God, that simple word took every desire to me. I didn't want any more. I know that's kind of elementary example, but I'm going to tell you to work. It'll give you contentment. It'll cut things out of your life you thought you had to have. You don't have to have it. All you have to have is God. And then lastly, I, I thought about this book. Not only does it take things away, it takes unbelief away, too. It's what this rest is about. How well are you going to sleep in a bed at night if you're going to worry all night it's going to fall? You know, when I eat, I eat bananas, a lot of times I oatmeal and cereal. This morning even, I was cutting a banana, it had been ripe a little bit, you know, and they had some bad spots on it. I did not throw that whole banana away. I just cut the bad spots out. That's what God's Word does. There's not a life on earth other than Jesus doesn't have some bad spots. Jesus says, if you're right offend thee, take it out, pluck it out, cut it out. If your right arm offend thee, cut it off. I'm telling you, friends, if you don't kill sin, sin will kill you. You just fool around with it. You drink a few beers if you want to, but later on, you're going to be on meth. You're not careful. I've seen it up close. You start spending some time with uh, somebody uh, opposite sex out of your uh, family and in the wrong wife, after a while you're going to be committing adultery. That's why you need God's word. And then my last point is because it turns us. Notice he says, not only is it sharp a two-edged sword, it discern, it's discerning between, a, it's so sharp it splits between the marrow and the bone and, and gets into the very intent of our heart. God knows what you know and you don't know. God knows what you think. And he goes on in Hebrews and says that. Turn with me to Psalm 7, verse 22. No. Psalm 12, verse 12. Psalm division 7, verse 12. If he turn not, that is the sinner. He, that is God, will whet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. Now here's the deal. You're not going to like this. If we ignore God's word, And we just keep right on sinning without any effect on us at all. God will win his sword, and that means if we don't turn, according to the Puritan Baxter, if we don't turn, then we will burn. Now, if you don't think the wrath of God is real, if do you think God is going to justify a sinner in any other way but by the blood of cross. Because here's the way it is. 
either, because God is just and holy, either the sinner will pay for the sin, which is eternal damnation. Hell is a real place. Or the sinner's sin are paid for by Jesus Christ. Fully, completely. And this word says that. And that should turn us. It's called repentance. How, how about this? Repentance is continual. It's not a one-time deal. Repentance comes from God. And the goodness of God leads thee to repentance. But if you think that somebody is going to just live any old way, ignore God's word that he magnified above his name, belittle, grieve, kick Jesus in the face by our disobedience, and you, don't think, and you think God's going to save us by his grace. He does save us by his grace. Because apart from his interaction on us, we'd all be just like that. Here's the deal. We repent not because we're afraid God will whip us or send us to hell. We repent because we hate sin. I know you do. I do too. Bothers me a lot. Here's the deal. A true believer does not embrace God and love him because he doesn't want to go to hell. He does it because he's been to hell. Because there's no greater hell than a redeemed child of God struggling when God saves us and gives us a new heart of his spirit and makes us his own and then we see what a mess we're in and we cry out to Jesus. And Jesus meets us and blesses us even though we're dead alien sinners. He loves us so much. And he talks to us. Isn't you glad Jesus is the easy, easy name to say? Isn't it amazing how simple the gospel is? Look to Jesus, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. You know, not a few months ago, we were, had picked up Emory and Jackson from the daycare, Penny and I. Jackson was just my little grandkids. Jackson was just starting to talk a little. And he will say anything his sister says for him to say. And they were in the back seat in the car seat coming home. She started talking to Jackson. He said, Jackson would say, dog. He said, dog? I mean, you know, he tried to say it. And she just gave him a few one syllable words. And all of a sudden she said, Jackson would say, ambulance. I looked at Penny, I said, ambulance? And you know that little boy tried to say ambulance? But Jesus is a simple name. I'm glad he didn't name Jesus. God didn't name him Mephibosheth or something. Just come to Jesus. That's what God's word says. He says, come unto me. You won't rest? Jesus says, all ye that are labor and heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. 
That's what this book is, a learning of Jesus, and you'll never, ever graduate. It'll grow with you. May the Lord bless you. I'll try to deal with some more tonight. I know it's time to go, but thy word is sharp. It'll cut you. But it'll talk to you. You get with God in the book. Are you on speaking terms with God? That's how his word is. It will turn us. David said, Thy word quickeneth me. May his word quicken us. Give us life abundantly. Would you bow with me? Lord, we thank you so much for the joy of your precious holy word. Sharpen our souls and hearts, O Lord, with your abundant truth. Cut out all the folly and the tendencies we have to do what we want to do. For Lord, you're always right. We're not always right. We know too well we have a tendency to stray from you. But you love us so much that you've given us a love letter directly from heaven. Thank you so much for putting in writing what we can never understand any other way, both in our hearts and in this book called the Bible. Lord, keep talking to us, but help us to listen. Keep taking things away. Lord, so many times we ask you for things, but so seldom do we thank you for the, what you've taken away. Thank you, God, for the things you've taken away. And Lord, keep turning us to you turning us in your righteousness, away from our self-righteousness. We'll not be nothing but sinners, O oh Lord, till we get to heaven. But we're going to hate sin more and more. We're going to see the flush of your favor as you shape and mold us as a great potter, to sharpen us, molding us like Jesus. But we fully will embrace your likeness. Though now we're looking in a glass darkly. But it's going to get sharper. The vision of Jesus, that is. In his name we pray. Amen.